Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. The absolute sweet spot for us is eight days. Uh, that's what uh, is basically where you sort of take the the average. Uh, if you want to look at the the segment is six to ten days uh, is actually the 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 segment that has grown the best and and actually is still performing fantastic now. So if you are a, a, a day tour operator, yeah, I think you can do the three, two, three, four day stuff, uh, and that could be fine. Uh, what we've seen for our platform anyway is that uh, between six and ten is is where uh, is selling. And prior to to the pandemic, we were seeing maybe a little bit longer trips, so maybe like a sort of ten day, uh, even eleven sometimes as well. Um, but we're just seeing people maybe being a bit more opportunistically, uh, saying, "Okay, I've got a week off now, or I just want to go away," and then booking that six, seven, eight day type trip. <laughs> Hi, entrepreneurs. This is Chris Torres. Um, we are joined by Pete Syme and also Travis Pittman of Tour Radar. So, for those who don't know, Tour Radar were the very first OTA dedicated to the multi-day market, and they set up in 2010. So, Travis, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Pete. Great to be here. Yeah, we've been to have you on for a while now. So, <laughs> so it's been great to have you on, and lots and lots of people, especially after the demo days that we've just run. Uh, I've been asking lots of questions about Tour Radar and and how to get onto the platform, what it's all about, and everything else. So it'd be good. To, it's good to have you on and hopefully help help those operators that may be interested working with you. So yeah, for sure, absolutely. Yep, really looking forward to it. Just, so give, us wee bit, of, just give us a wee bit of background, Travis, on when you started the scale of Tour Radar. Now that you're sort of reach with Tour Radar now, yeah. Who is the operators that are doing well on it? Type of operators. A whole brief on two radar just to get us kicked off. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep it very uh, short. Uh, but yeah, it's a 12-year history. Uh, we did start back in 2010. Uh, we started out more like a meta search model. Uh, so just trying to aggregate the supply. We very quickly realized that uh, we weren't going to make any real money out of that. Very difficult with attribution. Uh, Pete even told me it wasn't going to work uh, when I met him at WTM once. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it it's been a hell of a ride, but we've taken a few different uh, different pivots within the journey, and we became the OTA in like 2014, so where we were taking bookings, uh, and it's really only been in 21, uh, in during the pandemic, that we actually rolled out what we call our adventure booking platform, uh, where we actually have like a, a B2C marketplace, which is where the core of the bookings are currently taking place, but we've rolled out a distribution network as well, so B2B solutions with an API and white label working with travel agents so we're not a um we're definitely not competing with travel agents we're trying to help and enable and this whole digital transformation uh and actually drive a bit of awareness about 
what I call organized adventures. Uh, so it is the uh, multi-day tours, group tours, whatever you want to call it, um, and everything from like three days uh, up to 360 days long uh, for an adventure. So uh, very, very quick summary of the journey. But uh, yeah, it's it's been a, uh, a lot of ups and downs, uh, but COVID has definitely driven a lot of focus. And, and now it's about how do we come out of it, get the right you know new suppliers. We've got 2,500 tour operators uh, who are actually on the platform today. Uh, around 50,000 different adventures. Uh, and we started out with the big boys. Uh, so the Intrepids, the Trafalgars, the G-Adventures, those type of guys. Uh, and over time, we realized that we also needed to get the local DMCs, the long tail operators who were the specialists in the actual local areas. So, uh, and that was a big push that we did in about 2017, 2018 uh, to onboard a lot of those supplies. Yeah. The bit that jumped out from that brief there, apart from the fact that I told you it wasn't going to work, you know, it was completely and utterly wrong. <laughs> although, the, although the version you explained to me didn't really work. You know. No, it didn't. You're right. <laughs> we'll call that evens. Uh, yep. what, one of the questions we get all the time is how do I get my product into travel agents? Now, as a standalone operator, getting your product, getting your experience, multi-day experience into travel agents is a bit of a mission because you're just a single standalone uh, operated. Definitely if you're a scaled operator operating in, in dozens and dozens of destinations and you've got scale behind you, but if you're a small niche operator like most of your community are, getting in front of travel agents and getting there is quite difficult. Whereas you've set up a system that gets multi-day tours in front of lots and lots of travel agents. So could you just expand on that a bit? Yeah, that was what was the kind of moment that during COVID when we looked at everything and we'd always wanted to provide a solution for agents, but never really had the time to sort of step back and actually try and work it out. Because as as you all know, travel agents and consortia and host agencies, it's a pretty like very complex web to actually work out. And is there room for an intermediary to come in actually? I think that's where uh, it's, it's been difficult for someone to come in uh, in that regard. Um, and so what we have done is is launched what we call the agent marketplace where any agent from all over the world can sign up. Uh, we've got 5,000 who have signed up so far. Uh, and to exactly your point, yes, big operators like G and Globus and Trafalgar, they have their own agent portals where the agent, and they have to, you sign up, you get a contract with them, you get paid out by checks, but you probably only sell one or two of those tours per month or, and so that actually becomes very difficult to scale for the operator, but also a lot of time for the um, individual agents and operators as well. So as you said, uh, so our our kind of goal with this is to actually say, well, we have the technology, we have the supply. And so how do we actually just make it super simple for an agent to log in and get access to all the different operators out there? Uh, where we are seeing challenges is on passing enough commission through to the agents. So again, so how do we still make some money, uh, but also that the, there's enough to go around. And I think that's what we've built into the model is complete flexibility uh, in that regard. So you can either leverage our contracts. Uh, so the, the agent uh, can say, all right, I'll book a whatever tour operator and I'll get 7% or 10%. Uh, and then for another operator, they can say, look, I work dedicated with them. I've been using them for 10 years. I do a lot of volume. I want to use my contract uh, that I've already got with that operator. Uh, and that's why we've actually built the flexibility to allow for that. So you've got the agents who have sold this product uh, historically. 
who just want a more simple system instead of logging into all these extra nets and portals and then getting paid out in all different ways uh, to actually just having this one system that we've built uh, and then getting access to these new suppliers that they previously, as you say, found it difficult to get a contract with uh, or just you know didn't know how to actually set up that or do payments or whatever else. Uh, and that's what we're just basically trying to do is streamline it. So it's, it's helpful for everyone. I was just going to say, in terms of um, uh, growth, you mentioned there are a lot of growth um, over the last number of years. Um, have you seen huge growth in terms of people actually on booking online with multi-day tours since the pandemic, for example? So obviously a lot of our multi-day operations are still a lot of inquiry-based because that's how a lot of operators run. They tend to be a little bit more custom and everything else. But even we are seeing, even from my own customer base with the marketing agency, we're seeing a, a steady growth in people booking online, even the high ticket prices. Now, is that something you guys are seeing that trend increase over over the, over the last couple of months and over the last couple of years as well? So interestingly, because we've always been online purely, uh, that number has been pretty steady. Uh, and it's actually more impressive than, than what you think. So I think uh, Brendan, our CCO, was on stage uh, recently in Spain and Douglas kind of asked the question of, of what that number was. Um, and when you actually look at it, we actually are seeing about 60% of our bookings actually go through without a touch point pretty much. Uh, so where they're actually just booking and actually instantly confirming, because uh, that's what we've, we've built the API connections to a lot of the big tour operators. We've also within our operator dashboard, the operator can upload their tour and the inventory and say, do I want this to be free sale or you know, in instantly booked? So then it can actually just be automatically confirmed by our system to say, yes, customer, your credit card's down and you're, you've confirmed this uh, trip. It doesn't need to be logged in by the operator and 24 hours or 48 hours confirmed later. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, we've, we've seen that number always to be high. Um, what we've seen is that as we've improved the content on the site, as we've improved, obviously, usability, uh, search, all that type of stuff, that it has increased the amount of people just clicking and booking. Uh, as opposed to asking a question because the more context you can give of what's included in it, what are the extras, uh, what's the starting point, you know, all these different things, the more you give of that, the less questions the customers are going to have. Uh, and so that helps everyone because there's not stupid questions coming from a customer that the operator is just sick of the same uh, question. But what we built also is in the, the um, inquiry forms that uh, when they reply uh, to the customer, we build predetermined templates. So the operator can actually just go, all right, this is the same answer. Click, boom, pre-fills the, the response. They can obviously just edit it a little bit and then they basically hit uh, go. So just trying to streamline and just make it more efficient for, for everyone involved, really. Excellent. Just a couple of points, Nutter. I was jumping back, back to your previous conversation about the agents, just emphasizing to our listeners in the operator community, because we all know everybody whinges about commission been going on for years doesn't matter what the commission level is people complain yeah not everyone is grasping that not all the commission goes to the people who are doing the contract so not all commission is going to tour radar because you're cutting up commission with all of these agents that you're reaching on behalf of yes. the operator so 25 percent in many cases can be cut in half because half's gone to the operator half's gone to you or in some cases it can be even more complex than that and it gets sliced three or four times so yep. the reasons commissions are high in operator opinions in the industry is because it enables bigger distribution and 
getting your product going to, to more and more eyeballs because the commission level is getting split by between so many people. Exactly. I think one one thing just to note, maybe Pete, is that that twenty five number. I think you're probably talking more about attractions and and activities. Uh, that's mm. not typical. Typically, the number for multi day uh, is definitely yeah, lower. for sure. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, for sure. You wouldn't you wouldn't have many suppliers if it was a uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> be nice for us, but uh, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, but we're talking here. The average order value is is like nearly three thousand dollars. So it's obviously yeah. a much chunkier booking. Yeah, no, it's a it's a very nice booking, very nice. Yeah. The, the other point, it was on the buy now button or book now button, as Chris is there, and you were averaging 6%. This comes up quite a lot. It came up yesterday on a coaching call I was doing with the community. Yeah. Uh, and the whole technology industry of travel wants a book now button and wants more people pressing it. Yeah. I'm probably one of the only people on the planet pushing back against that. However, I'm not pushing back against multi-day because multi-day, the whole thing is packaged up and everything is included in the price. So the ability of the operator to upsell and cross-sell is exceedingly limited because everything's in the price anyway. So you do in multi-day want the best possible descriptions, the best possible media, the best possible answer to every question up front and get as many people pressing that book now button as, as can. However, in day tours that lots of operators operate in, there has been this trend to everybody wanting the same to happen in day tours. Whereas if you're selling a a $50 walking tour in day tours and someone presses that button, what you're getting is $50. And you may be happy with that $50, but that's just removed every single opportunity you have. Not every single opportunity, but the vast majority of opportunities to upsell, cross-sell different services to that person. So I would always argue that day tours, if you have the ability to take care of more things, having a conversation in day tours is actually more important than having a conversation in multi-day tours, which seems a bit ridiculous when you're talking about $3,000 average value and I'm talking about $100 average value if it's two people with 50 day, uh, $50 products. Yep. But the ability for day tour operators to scale 10,000, then 20,000 and 30,000 customers year after year when these customers don't normally return because a lot of them are tourists. It's incredibly difficult, but what they can do is make more money from each booking. Yep. And and that is a different business model. So it's just all I'm highlighting here is the obsession with book now is correct because that's the trends in society, but make sure you're giving it to the people that you really want to book now and not the people that you can actually... Because in sales, and we are in sales, although the industry doesn't think we're in sales, we are in sales. You get one choice. You get one chance to sell that customer. And if it's day tours, you get one chance in life to sell that customer normally. You've got to sell them as much as you can. Anyway, yeah. I, I jumped into day tours. Yep. You're 100%. <laughs> it's totally, totally, uh, yeah, valid. And, and I think what we... We we saw that we had to have this conversation pre-booking with the customer and give the ability to actually have that conversation because there were so many open questions around a, a 13-day experience somewhere, you know, on the other side of the world. Uh, and that's where we had to do that. And, and we've seen the more we provide, the better. We do see upsell capability, but not a lot, like you're saying. So you couldn't just double the price just with one upsell or anything like that, like you probably could do for a day uh, day tour. Um, but 
what we have seen uh, really working quite well during, since the pandemic is actually giving the ability to people to say, look, I like this itinerary, uh, but I'd like to just customize it slightly. Uh, and so it's not, it's not a big part of our business, but we have seen that when you add the right functionality and then the operators can, they can have in their price calculator and say, yes, you've just added a hot air ballooning trip. Uh, you've also got the pre-accommodation and you've got a transfer or whatever it is the price bumps up by 500 bucks or whatever it is. So, and we've seen that help with getting more people maybe who haven't considered a group tour or don't want to travel with other people, but they actually want to have all the stuff organized for them uh, and actually go with their family or with a group of friends. Uh, and we're seeing that that uh, upsell is happening within the platform if you provide the right functionality for it, obviously. Yeah. That's good to see. Yeah, I know even when I, I've referred to it before in the past, but many years ago now, I do need to go back. But when I went to Japan, I was only going to go for two weeks. But having those, that, that conversation with the people, and if you've got a more tech base, is even, even better, where I, I thought, well, I could climb Mount Fuji, I can do this, I can see a geisha, I can do all these different things I wanted to see. And my, my two-week plan stayed, uh, extended to about a month. And that, that was just by having those conversations and stuff. So the fact that you have that ability in a more tech format where people can add different things and change different things. To me, that's a bit of a game changer, to be honest, because that just allows people to customize as much as possible uh, within the constraints of, of what the operators are adding into 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 your platform. So I think that's a fantastic thing. Exactly. I think the what too many startups have tried, I feel, and, and other actually some more uh, bigger uh, suppliers or yeah, platforms as well, is this whole dynamic packaging and pulling stuff in automatically and making the customer do it all. Honestly, the tour operator on the ground knows everything way better uh, and actually has those relationships and everything. And so we've found that just adding that functionality just within this, what we call the booking conversation page and having the price calculator is achieving that dynamic packaging, but you've got that human element, which is actually what you want for a, a trip that you're going to pay $8,000 for or $10,000 for. Well, we mentioned day tours, um, and it's something that me, Pete, and Mitch always have the conversations with lots of operators that pretty much, not, not everyone, but pretty much every day tour operator can go into multi-day and should have a multi-day option you know, by stitching together day tours to have over a weekend. It isn't, we're not talking like 15 days tours here. It could be a two-day, three-day, multi-day over a weekend or something like that. Um, no, you mentioned that you've obviously got... Um, you can track obviously the number of days you get tours from three days to 365 days that's probably when a pete sits on there so no way knowing him but uh, with his tracks but where are you seeing the sort of sweet spot if you have that data where are you seeing the sort of sweet spot in terms of the number of days for multi-days that are, tend to be the most popular uh, which may give the, those who are thinking about going into multi-day maybe a steer in the right direction yeah so the absolute sweet spot for us is eight days uh that's what uh is basically where you sort of take the the average uh, if you want to look at the the segment is six to ten days uh, is actually the 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 segment that has grown the best and and actually is still performing fantastic now. So if you are a, a, a day tour operator, yeah, I think you can do the three, two, three, four day stuff, uh, and that could be fine. Uh, what we've seen for our platform anyway is that uh, between six and ten is is where uh, is selling. And prior to to the pandemic, we were seeing maybe a little bit longer trip. So maybe like a sort of 10 day, uh, even 11 sometimes as well. Um, but we're just seeing people maybe being a bit more opportunistically uh, saying, okay, I've got a week off now, or I just want to go away. And then booking that six, seven, eight day type trip. Yeah, so. 
Have you seen anything regarding destination? I know we've just come out of three years of nonsense and chaos. Is is it that six to eight days screams to me regional travel, short haul travel rather than long haul travel? Because if someone's going to fly to the other end of the world, they tend to do it for more than six or eight days. So you seen any trends on the actual destinations that that volume is going to? For sure. So for your multi-country Europe, which is still a big part of what we do, uh, so the coach touring and and different sort of you know multi-country hopping, uh, for sure, that's like twelve to fourteen days is is kind of the the sweet spot for that. But yes, if you're doing like a Italy uh, adventure, if you're going to Croatia or to Vietnam, it's it's it is that probably six to eight day uh, sort of time frame. And Asia, you seen any tick up on Asia? I mean, it's been in the doldrums for years now, basically. Uh, we all managed to bounce out Europe and US, but Asia's still struggling. I mean, I've got old operators I used to work with on the ground there, and they're still seeing nothing like the volumes that they used to see. Yeah, uh, Japan, you talked about, Chris, uh, that was the first one to come back, really. Uh, and it's actually going very well uh, for, from our side of things. Uh, where we've seen in more recent times is, is Vietnam, Thailand even, uh, coming back a bit. But that Southeast Asia area is definitely, I'd say, within the last six weeks, started to, to pick up a lot. Yeah, yeah. So Yeah, we have, we have seen Japan opening up. We've got um, actually one client of ours who stopped during the pandemic because of, for obvious reasons with, with Asia, especially them, has came back because he's seen a, a big improvement in Japan and stuff like that as well. So definitely... There is moving in a positive way, but yeah, Japan certainly seems to be the best one of all the Asian countries at this moment. Yeah, sure. One of the ones just to, to mention, because it was pretty consistent during the, the pandemic and even now, is Egypt. Uh, I think it is a destination where people do like to have an organized uh, tour where they don't need to think of how do I get from A to B, is it safe, that type of thing. So Egypt was probably one of our more, apart from multi-country Europe, uh, stable kind of really top uh, sellers during during the pandemic and even even now still as well. Just from a personal interest, Travis, what you seen in the poll? In the what? In the poll? Is is uh, the poll picking up? <laughs> I actually don't know the answer to that question. Uh, I need. To, I would have to look. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No worries. Yeah. So the world has sort of changed in the last two months, the world's constantly changing, but it seems to have speeded up a lot. Now everyone's got their head around the potential impact of artificial intelligence, chat GPT's gone berserk. Uh, every single existing co company's having to address it, and we've got a flood of startups looking at new models uh, on how we're doing this. I'm quite outspoken on it, on usually. Uh, I just see it as all commoditizing. All of the stuff around ChatGDB just makes everybody more productive, makes yep. them produce content quicker and probably better eventually. But that's free to everybody. It's everybody's got the same opportunity. That's not to say everybody will take the opportunity. All of that yep. stuff is same, same for everybody. You either use it or you don't use it. Those that do use it become more productive, probably save costs, so therefore can become more profitable. But I don't really see that as game changing. I see that as evolution of stuff that we were already doing. Where I see game changing from AI is in the app actual operations of the experiences on the ground, mm -hmm. especially in day tours. Now, there's whole OTAs across our market who have been built on uh, day tours, 
you've built one in multi-day, one of the few in multi-day, the first in multi-day, whereas multi-day tours are full of doing, which can't really be replicated by AI. So I'm looking at what you're doing is having some inbuilt barriers to the, because AI comes with good things and it comes with threats, it's opportunity and threats. Mm-hmm. But if I'm looking at get your guide of Viator's listed tours, I can see thousands of tours that are going to be disrupted by AI and their ability to sell them tours. Whereas when I look at a multi-day platform, I see very little that can be disrupted, apart from the content production and all the rest. Yeah, I mean, obviously the stuff you guys already do about uh, floating the popular tours to the top and making sure yeah. it matches the people's preference based on their data, etc. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I really concur. I also, I, I did get pretty deep into it, maybe not as deep as you uh, so far, Peter, but uh, yeah, it's it it has been mind-blowing. And, and what I did see as well was like, because there was all these use cases of uh, create me an, an itinerary for seven days in Japan uh, to see and be active and whatever else. And sure, it can create those things for you, but it, how do you get around? Where do you stay? Like it, it, it doesn't have the capability yet to actually book all of that. And I think that is the, the, I'd come back to what I talked about before of this dynamic packaging and still having a human element from the tour operator side. That is the benefit of what the tour operator and the guide is actually doing on the ground is that it's stitching all this together and just making it seamless for you. And that can't be replicated in AI, like over a seven day, 10 day experience. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm also, I was quite happy also to sort of feel that way. And, and it's great to hear you say the same thing. Um, but I, I do see there are a lot of really, really nice things that we can be leveraging in other platforms as well, in terms of how we change that discovery to find these type of experiences. Because I think we have 50,000 different options on the site to find those easily is difficult. Like we haven't built the perfect UX, you know, I don't think anyone has, uh, but I, I was pretty blown away. Like I typed in, uh, to it typed in, I'm a you know, 40 year old, uh, active guy. And I gave them one of our URLs on the site. Uh, and I said, what, what tour should I pick? And after a couple of prompts, it actually came back with the mountain biking tour I did last summer. Um, which was pretty scary. Like it was like, holy shit. Okay. How did, how did it pick that? Um, but it, so I think there's a lot of discovery elements that we can be starting to help people find. And that's what I'm really happy is that we can then have that button to say book. Uh, whereas a lot of other, uh, platforms and OTAs, it's just content really. It's like, if I'm an independent traveler, I can go to Paris and then turn that into an audio guide or use an audio guide and actually then take that same experience uh, on my own potentially you know obviously everyone um, provides that human element and that guide experience as well but yeah I, I think there is uh, less disruption chance in this regard for us in the multi-day space that's you had the nail on the head that's that's exactly where I see AI helping a lot of operators whether it's day two or multi-day to be to be fair um that whole discovery phase, you no, know, as you were mentioning, if you can think of almost like an Uber Amazon, where you can land onto onto a, a, an operator's website or onto Tour Radar, it instantly knows who you are. It's learned who you are, and it's going to start displaying some of that information, make it more personalised for you. To me, that is where AI could be so powerful in tailoring stuff for that individual person and being able to say, "That's exactly what I want. That's what I want to do right this minute in time," and then they book and things like that. So, I see that as being uh, the future of AI, especially for for the multi day. 
we, we all know the the Google data on discovery and how many websites people visit and the amount of time they're on. And no one in my time of travel really nailed that. Like you say, it's it's been fairly consistent for the last 20 years. People spend a lot of time going to a lot of different places on websites uh, over a protracted period of time before they get to the booking. This is probably the first time ever that many of us can see a route to that being drastically shortened. So yeah. we've got that journey of discovery out here and it's not going to go to there, but it's certainly going to come in and the whole speed of that discovery because it's going to be more more accurate to yeah. the to the individuals. We can all now see a discovery solution that, that is going to be good for the customer. It's, it's going to be really good for the customer. Yeah, but I think the cost, the, the opportunities lie more on the operating side, I would say, rather than the discovery side, although the discovery is huge for a company like Tour, Tour Radio. If you can shorten that journey, your conversions are going to go through the roof and you're going to have a lot of happy operators. The real the real change I see is when, when people develop tools that then end up going on people's phones, so the AI tools are not us industry geeks talking about how we can do it for our business, but it's when it's on someone's phone and they're using it the same way they use Google Maps today or the translation app today. We are going to have tools, travel tools, driven by AI on people's phones just the same as how they're covering Google Maps at the moment. And that, to me, is the, the real disruption and the real thing. We obviously don't know what at this stage how good they're going to be, what they are, but they're coming. <laughs> and And once people start adopting them at scale, the travel industry changes. Yep, uh, very much. And yeah. I think I've this before is if today, if, if a thousand people go to Paris today on a two day experience in Paris, they'll end up doing similar things because they will book similar tours because the industry will present X number of tours to them. But if someone goes with the technology on the phone that they can create the tour suited to them, we probably have a thousand people doing a thousand different tours. They may, they may include all the, the highlights, the Eiffel Tower, the Louvre, and they may go to all the same places that all the tourists go to, but you can have that fragmented down to a thousand different ways that will be actually delivered on the ground. So I see a massive opportunity in self-guiding, both in day tours and in short multi-day, not so yep. long in the longer multi-day, but there's a, a massive self-guiding, which was already growing at a significant margin pre uh, this stuff coming up but there is going to be an opportunity for self-guiding growth that will be driven by the consumer once they get the tools it won't be driven by the industry it'll be driven by the consumer once they get the tools and and they're on because we will all have to react to the consumer wanting this stuff i think it will i think that's where this community obviously the operators and the guides uh are gonna do everything they can to to make sure that human element uh, during that experience, whether it's a two hour walking tour or it's a ten day um, adventure, it's that human element. I think is you cannot take away, uh, and I think that's where we'll have to differ. And it'll be just the the price points then. I think which will then vary uh, because of how much hopefully more valuable that human interaction is uh, that uh, can be differentiating the the types of products that we're selling. Versus, say, this uh, AI-generated and, and uh, guided uh, stuff as well. So it's going to be super interesting. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of uh, yeah change that's going to be coming. I think in the next twelve months for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, even it was like Facebook as well, stuff like that. I know obviously they're developing their own AI. If you can think of all the the power and the data that they have on billions of people, tying that in with the AI to deliver experiences and stuff like that, because they know when they're traveling around different experiences. Everyone checks in, I'm at the airport or I'm no, I've arrived in Paris or whatever it would be. And then we can basically go, well, here's some experiences delivered on whatever products that people are, are delivering and that can all be done by AI. It's, that's the type of thing I'm really excited about, how that can drive that experience and a digital experience to users. Yep. I think where, where the operators need to pay attention here is, is when they're designing experiences or they're designing new experiences, there's certain experiences going to be at threat and there's other experiences that are going to be quite easy to defend. So... I split them between talking and doing. If your experience involves a lot of talking where you're passing information from A to B, history, culture, any of that, if it's all talking and it's passive information, you're at high, high risk. You need to, when you're designing experiences, make sure you get doing phases inserted in the experience. So if you're doing a food tour, try and get someone with, in that tour where you're doing some of the cooking rather than just visiting certain places on the food tour. And yeah. if you're doing a history tour, try and get something in there where you're physically getting hands-on with some part of history, making some pottery or something that goes with it. Something that always protects you from just the AI taking over. Because there's going to be anyone when it's knowledge. There isn't a guide on the planet that's going to have more knowledge than the AI's got because it's got access to all the knowledge in the world. Therefore, you can't rely anymore just on your knowledge. You have to accept things, insert things in your experiences that give you protection, and doing is often a protection uh, from, from this sort of disruption. And the more days you put into your experience, every single day you add in there, I also see that as protection as, as well, because that makes it slightly more complex for the customer to design even with all these tools, gets a bit more worrisome for them, so again, going from day tours into multi-day is a protection against against this. Uh, I keep saying protection. I still think it's a great, fantastic thing, but you do need to protect as well as identify the opportunity. But I, I like the what you're saying about doing, and I think that's what uh, I feel our product, so organized adventures, multi-day, is all about doing, and that's why it is seeing a, a, a really kind of big uh, interest now. Is that People wanted to be more active during the pandemic. They want to obviously experience more of those local type things uh, and more cultural things as well. So, and I think sustainability was a huge topic that really kind of came out finally, uh, I guess, within the industry, but also within the general population. And my big thing is saying, well, yeah, it's great if, if we've got thousands of people or millions of people going to say Paris and Barcelona, but that's that whole over tourism thing. And if you talk about this doing aspect that you're saying is that, if you're saying, hey, I've just got these things that are five hours away from Paris and outside into the countryside and it's multi-day, that is something that's quite difficult for, say, AI or anything like that and self-guided for you to do because you might not be comfortable driving a car in, in a foreign place. Uh, you can't get a train directly to that place. So that's where I really find our product does help on so many different levels uh, to actually get, hopefully, people more regional uh, experiencing and doing more things like you're saying, um, and actually getting people sort of out of those main hubs. So it's, it's something that I'm, I'm quite passionate about. And I think that it is a, it's just not known that this is what our product does. I think everyone still thinks it's following an umbrella around a city. Uh, and unfortunately that's perception that we all need to somehow change. Yeah. 
What have you seen? You mentioned price earlier on. Obviously, costs across everyone's business, travel's no exception, has had significant bigger cost rises than I've ever seen in the industry in the short period of time. So have you, have you seen operators reacting with prices on your platform as prices going up quite steeply? I, I, we're currently running some uh, like analysis to sort of look exactly at it. Is there a, like a, an uplift or has there been a, a, a shift? We've seen our AOV go up since pre-pandemic like considerably, like 30 to 40% up. Like it's actually, and, and that was a combination, I think, of people splurging, spending more because they hadn't done anything for a long time. But I, I think now we're starting to see that inflation cost that's being built into the tour price also starting to, to be there, but I don't have, I don't have any definitive numbers, but it's uh, definitely something that, uh, yeah, we, we are, uh, you talk about it all the time, Peter, you, you've got to make money out of this stuff as an operator. And so you've got to build that into, and not just think, oh, if I add my prices by 6% or whatever else that everyone's going to stop booking, you've got to make money at the end of the day. So, and, and consumers see that if this is a unique experience that can't really piece together myself or I don't know how to, they're willing to pay that premium. Like, you know, and we're seeing that, like they're actually willing to pay a bit more for, for those, uh, even, you know, more extravagant or cooler type experiences. So yeah, uh, I, I don't have definitive data, but, um, overall our average order values have gone up quite a bit. Yeah. The, the thing is interesting is even though we're particularly in Europe in quite tough times, recessionary times. Spending on travel, even with all the inflation in travel, is still growing significantly. And it's yep. I keep thinking it's a bubble from coming out of COVID, but it keeps going and going. And people are spending, they seem to be prioritizing travel above other things in their life, which probably didn't happen pre-COVID. Uh, yep. Any recession or any bad economic time we had pre-COVID that clicked in, travel was normally the first to react, not the last to react. It was normally the first thing it would be cut out. I'm just not seeing that in any data at the moment, which is I find it strange. I've got to say, but it's good to it's good to see. I do find it strange. I think that's a COVID effect. No, people were were not be able to interact with other people for such a long period of time, and they're now wanting that. So their previous, you no, know, before the pandemic, they may decide, okay, I'm not going to go on my trip. I'd rather buy my Netflix subscriptions and do all the other things and, and sacrifice the travelling. Whereas it's completely flipped. They'd rather do the travelling because they want to be able to see different places. Because they don't know if we're going to be locked down again at any point in the future. There's maybe that little bit of a fear as well. But again, because they've had that lack of uh, human interaction, they're just wanting to travel and they'll decide, actually, I don't need my Netflix uh, subscription. I'm going to save up and go on a nice little trip some point, even if it's just once per year with my family. And maybe what you'll see and what we're seeing anyway is some, a lot of people are maybe not doing two or three trips a year. They're just having the one, making a spending big on that one trip rather than multiple trips but i think just the pandemic alone and what that how that affected everyone has made people want to travel just because they couldn't for so long i think it's also made it uh, i think a, a lot of us maybe have had situations where there's been friends or family or whatever who maybe haven't made it uh, during the, the pandemic and it has made you look at life and, and everything as well we're all I think we lost a couple of years there as well. I think it's like, okay, we can't lose anymore. It's like, I still want to do these bucket list trips that I've had, like these six or seven things. So I've got to start planning those over the next 10 years, basically. Uh, so I think that's coming into it as well. Yeah, it's always like a yeah. wake-up call. Yeah, I think you. I think there's a society-level change going on. It's not, not industry-driven. It's a society-level change that, on your point, Travis, people woke up during COVID that life is very short. 
and you're only here for a blip. Uh, and then suddenly you're not here and now people are changing, not just how they travel, but how they live life, their society and how many people are working from home, that hybrid living and how many yep. people are prioritizing so many things in life above their work. Whereas, and so many people work to live before, whereas now people are saying, I want to live and work yep. is only part of it. And I think that's a much wider society driven, certainly in the Western world in the developed that is a society level change that I cannot see going back in the bottle now the genie's out the bottle people are changing and I think travel is just a beneficiary of that we have have made that happen we're just a beneficiary of that happening yeah no and I think one really encouraging thing now in in January I think we all all for multi-day anyway specifically uh, we always have that kind of post-Christmas spike uh, and then in January it's always a lot of interest to say European travel and that type of thing for the first time in three years, we've seen that seasonality come back, uh, which is actually, it's been, we hoped for it and we were like, oh, do we plan it in or budget for it? And uh, I think now seeing it actually happening again is super, super encouraging. And and it's it's just also showing that, yeah, this stuff of inflation and whatever else, people are saving more, they want to do this. But that seasonality coming back was a, a big encouraging sign for us as a team. Yeah. So. 2023 might be the first year since 2019 we have some sort of normality in the data right so most of the data for the last three years no matter what the data says i'm ignoring because it's just weird period in life that you can't really build any models around that data whereas i suspect and i could be wrong 2023 data will be some sort of normality that we can put more trust in and more judgments based on anything that's come out the last couple of years tend to agree on it yeah, I agree. I, I can't, I can't let you go without um, sort of covering one question that always comes up on Tourpreneur. It's, it's always every other, every other week it comes up. Um, when someone's talking about multi well, day, they're talking about where they can distribute it out, and Tour Radar is one of the first things that gets mentioned. Mm-hmm. And then some people say, "Oh, I've tried to do that, and I couldn't get onboarded, and everything else. I don't know why." And um, it's, it's nothing personal. You had, a, you had a sort of. A rule is the wrong word, but you had a sort of rule that you had in place during the pandemic, but you're now opening things up. Is that correct? Do you want to explain a little bit about? Oh, yeah. So we, as I said, we work with 2,500 operators and that's, that's a lot. And and we, uh, as as you just mentioned, Peter, there was no uh, normality to, to demand uh, over the last three years. So we were not driving enough bookings to our operators that we had in the platform. So we're like, okay, well, why are we onboarding more? If, if we actually are not really delivering to our current one. So yeah, we made a conscious decision not to. Um, I know it was frustrating for a lot of people. Um, I did also get reached out to quite a bit on LinkedIn by different people saying, oh, you know, I haven't been able to be accepted. Can I get in? Uh, but uh, it was just a blanket kind of thing that we had. So yeah, we've, we're just opening it up now. Uh, actually, again, I don't know the exact timeline, but it'll be imminently, we'll be opening it up. Uh, and there'll be certain areas that we'll probably focus on first, like where we know we're missing some sort of supply that uh, we've got more demand for but don't have enough supply so I don't think it'll be like a blanket everything's going to be open uh, but yes we are opening up some um, the, the, the applications to basically come back in so yeah it's uh, it's exciting times again like it feels like a bit of that uh, normality of okay the, the business development team are finally actually going to work on that side of it rather than actually fighting you know for just all these different things that they had to do to help the operator survive during the pandemic, like all the credits and, and all that kind of stuff. And then dealing with all customer complaints. So yeah, so now the BD team are, are super excited about actually onboarding, uh, all these new suppliers. So well, happy one, of the, happy one of the things, 
I mean, this is just my mad brain going here. If one of the things of AI coming in means we're going to really be able to get into the long tail. You've all, all always had long tail adventures and long tail holidays on your platform. But as this stuff rolls out and people start to understand it more, we will start to understand people more and really see their long tail yeah. interests. Now, the minute that operators can see for real these long tail interests and the sort of skate, because they're not all, we all think of them as niche, but yeah. as we all know, there's 9 billion people in the world, so niche can be quite a big, big market. We're probably going to see lots and lots of new types of tours designed by the operators because they're identifying all of these long tail interests from, from the consumer. Uh, and at the moment, your, your strap line, I was winding Brendan up about this, is, uh, your strap line's organized adventure. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Whereas <laughs> that is quite a niche for disorganized adventure, true adventure where yes, and absolutely. people, yeah. people want to go interesting places, meet interesting people, but they don't want everything itinerary day after day. We know exactly where we're going at this hour. Exactly. They, they're wanting yep. a true, a true adventure. Uh, yep. and, I, and I see again AI being helping to surface what I call as true adventure not packaged adventure you yep. see any, yep. pl any place for that on the platform? Yeah absolutely I mean we do have it's, and I think that's the, the thing is that uh, adventure in the past definitely was more that hard hard adventure so we're talking the, the Kilimanjaro or Everest type treks or some sort of you know hiking down in, in South America but what I, I I feel that or actually just generally societal change that you mentioned a bit before of COVID is going to the shops was an adventure after actually being locked down. Like and I said that actually is no shit. Like it became something like so I think the term for adventure is definitely being used more, but uh I feel the reason we've gone for this term is that tour and multi-day tour like multi-day tour came from the industry for sure like with that was not created by consumers you know so no no one ever says that uh when they're talking at the pub um they just want to say look i want to go on a cool adventure or i want to go for a vacation or whatever else and so i think the the benefits um you say you just want a disorganized adventure yes some people want that but they still they don't want to have to organize logistics and, and all the different, where should I eat? That's actually good. All these different things. And I think that's what we're trying to highlight to the mainstream consumers and say, how can we capture market share from someone who might've done an all-inclusive resort or uh, someone who might've done a cruise, but actually is now more active in their daily life. And they actually like being in nature more. How do they actually go, oh shit, a tour is not just following that umbrella. It's actually all of this boring logistics stuff that I don't need to think about. I just as, am on the tour having drinking wine, which is an adventure for me uh, in, in Tuscany. So I think that's the way our philosophy around it of, of where we're going. But for sure, the, the hardcore adventure stuff, that's here to stay. And it's only going to get more and more because I think as you make it more accessible and people become more confident, they start with soft, they go maybe a little bit harder and then they're like, get the confidence up. They're like, yeah, I can, I can go away for 10 days and have no internet, you know, and, and actually totally fine with that. Like, so. uh, anywhere I go, even if it's in North of Scotland, I try to find a place that doesn't have internet. So my Slack and everything else doesn't keep pinging every two minutes from, <laughs> from the office. I said, like something I look at when I'm, when I'm traveling. 
Yeah. It's all going to be satellites soon, so you're going to have internet. Everything's yeah, so you're never going to get away from it. You're not going to be able to get rid of it. You're not going to be able to get rid of it. Although I'm also a big fan of getting rid of it, but it's not going to happen. Yeah. So that, that's been super interesting, Travis. Thanks very much for your time today. Hopefully the operators and get a bit about that. Certainly think about multi-day if you're a day operator and listen to this. Multi-day can be two, three days. Think about distribution because as we highlighted, it's really hard for users, standalone small companies to get the distribution that you need. And this is one way of not just getting on a platform, but reaching out to lots and lots of travel uh, agents that can help sell your product. So yeah. thanks very much for your time, Travis. You're welcome. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you.